for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. It's part due, y'all. And yes, you are once again in the Squad Zone. Last week, we introduced you to our Elk Bros Adventures Success Squad, our specialized elk hunting coaching staff used to prepare elk hunters in all areas of the hunt before they ever get boots on the ground. Today, the squad continues breaking it down and identifying possible holes in an elk hunter's game, as well as giving you ways to fill those holes. Yeah, buddy. Part two of the Elk Bros Adventures Success Squad. That discussion, our Elk Bros shout outs and questions from our awesome Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and Elk Hunting Coach Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And as always, for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas, and from Cuesta, New Mexico, your elk hunting coach. That's right. We've got the legend, R.C. Knox, is in the house. And that's right, our elk hunting coach from Burnett, Texas. We got the Flatlander in the house, Mr. Cole Wilkes, and from Cimarron, WWJGD is in the house, teed up and ready to heat, hit it deep, guys. What's up, Elk Bros? <laughs> hey, man. What's up? What's up? Well, you know, it, it's a little disappointing that we don't have the whole crew here tonight, yeah. um, especially as we're getting close, but we're going to try to bomb this out for everybody. Uh, Chav is still a little under the weather. 
Uh, and, and guys, he's everybody. You know, he appreciates the comments and the well wishes. He, he's feeling better, but this doggone, he's got this hack and cough thing that just won't let him. You know, he's afraid as soon as he starts talking, he's just gonna cough his way through it. And and Luis, you know, we thought Luis was here. Well, they let his wife and kids come back, but they're, they're keeping him over there on the other side of the border, I guess. So, <laughs> we'll have to give Manano a call. I mean, that's somebody we could bring in. Yeah, man. I don't know where the counselor's at. Yeah. I bet Manano would come in and take care of him, man. <laughs> Manano, shout out to you, brother. We're pulling for you on the bar exam, buddy. We, uh, we've been praying for you. Homie, hope, hope, nothing but well wishes towards you, my friend. Absolutely, yeah. man. Uh, the man is, has been putting it out for that thing. So cramming. Um, yep. yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be fun. So, um, just for everybody listening, once again, our goal tonight is to use the hunters mm-hmm. that we are currently coaching as an example of things that most of you guys are struggling with or most likely could struggle with when you hit the woods this year. So this is all about learning moments. As we take and what we're going to try to do is we're going to talk about some of these area, areas that we have been, you know, that Gilbert and RC uh, and myself and Cole have been working with our hunters on, and we're going to try to then give you tips on what we see as their glaring issues, those aha moments or those things where they were like, really? Or how do you do this? Or, and, and things that they were kind of missing out on. And we are then going to try to tell you and hopefully help you identify those because you might not even know it's an issue, right? You might not have never even heard it and then overcome it. So tonight we're going to go to those failure points that hunters hadn't thought about where and how to set up as well, as well as calls and calling strategies, something that everybody always wants to talk about. And, and it's huge. I mean, that's a huge part y'all, because if we're not talking about calls and calling strategies, right? then people end up with a limited toolbox. They end up with limited skill set. And we know that elk hunting is all about creating opportunities. And if you're not able to create opportunities, that means, and and you hear this from me all the time, that means you're waiting on opportunities. And if you're waiting on opportunities, hmm, you know, it can get it can get tough and it depends i mean you know if you're if you're hunting in an area because there's different ways to be able to locate elk to be able to create an opportunity you can use your eyes your ears or your nose right that's right and i mean if you've got binos in an area that you're able to really scan and locate those elk and then develop a plan so that you can then create the opportunity because you've seen them that's great if you hear them well now you got to have a strategy to either you get on them or them come to you. I would much rather have them come to me if possible. If not, then you got to have a strategy for moving in on them, right? And yep. if you smell them or if you're finding sign or you know they're in an area but they are not talking, then you have to find a way to locate and have those puppies come into you and you might not know they're coming. That's where some of our scenarios come in, right? So, yeah, I, I've got several of them that I've just just popped into my head where you don't need to do a whole lot to be successful. You know, uh, as a matter of fact, sometimes less is more, Joe. No, sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, that's when people hear us talk about calling. 
all the time. It's because we're callers and we love to call. But even us, there's times where, you know, shut up, man. We know to be quiet and let him come on with it. Yeah, I I was actually talking. uh, I was talking with one of the Hunt Wars guys today, actually, about this. Right? We get as as hunters in our day to day lives are so fast paced, and and the cadence that we're used to day to day is always just go 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 right, and we don't understand that an elk's cadence, even if he is responding to you actively bugling back and forth to you, he's not just going to pick up and run over there to you guys. Unless it's just dire straight, like he thinks he's going to get a piece of the action immediately, right? Yeah. And even then, it's like they take a long time if you're not moving in towards them. So understand that an elk's cadence might be, okay, you you got a bugle from him. And then the next time you hear him, he's a hundred yards closer, but y'all are 500 yards apart. Yeah. In that amount of time, like he might just feed his way over to you. He's not just going to burn a ton of energy unless the situation is just dire that he gets over there immediately. He, he's going to take a long time to make that, that country up and just meander and feed and, you know, to where he's not exerting himself. Right. Um, and I think a lot of guys kind of, skip that and don't realize that, oh yeah, they live out here and they have nothing on their schedule other than eat and sleep, and really. Somebody. And survive. Right. And survive. And survive. Right. Yeah. And, and survive. And that's the big thing. I I want you to remember that. I want you to bring up the cadence yeah. again. Yeah. When we yeah. get into okay. like set up and calling and stuff, but because there's things that I want to add to that that are kind of critical there, but I don't want to hit yeah, that conversation too. yet, man. So sure. what we are going to get this pub party started, y'all. Yeah, Joe, let's get the party started and head over to the Elk Bros mailbox. So Troy Hayes out of Nebraska. He said, um, typically we try to work into a bull or group of elk and set up in parentheses, yes, for a sequence about a hundred to 200 yards away. However, you guys mentioned in multiple podcasts about having to move and to reset up, but what are you guys looking for or what is happening that gives you the gut feeling or the notion to move up and reset up? Uh, can you walk me through your thought process on this? Also, is the bull doing or not doing something uh, specific that triggers your instincts and says, yep, it's time to move. Let's move, advance, get set up, question mark. Yeah. That's a dynamite question. question, man. And he's all over it like, he's all over it like a rat on a Cheeto too, brother. Yes. So Troy, um, so what happens, right, is every situation is going to be different whenever we decide on when is a good time to move up. And most of the time that's going to dictate on really uh, how the elk is advancing and maybe some of the noises that he might be making, right? Um, the, the biggest thing is if, if he has, you know, if you can tell he has cows or something like that, then – your setup might be a little slower approached or, or, um, maybe he's moving away. It sounds like, I guess. And then you know when to move up, uh, based on, you know, 
distance and maybe frequent of calling. Um, I mean, there's just so many different reasons why I would pick up and move uh, everything from the wind to other elk even, right? Especially if he's hung up. Especially yeah. if he does, yeah. he's not moving. Generally, that tells you he's probably got cows, right? Well, he's he's not advancing. So then you've got to advance to him, you know. And, and Cole makes he's chuckling to right? you. So, like, if – and he mentioned how that bull's moving. So, like, if you're set up and originally that ball, that bull, you know, you had the wind coming a certain way. Let's say it's a crosswind and it's going to a certain side. And that bull was originally in front of you coming, but all of a sudden now that bull's move, moving across to a side – you know, you're not going to stay in that position unless you're able to turn him with calls. And that can happen as well. But for us, like when you say instinct, that's the word that, that pops out to me because it's not really our instinct. It's because of failures that we've had before, man. Experience. It's yeah. experience. And, and yeah. instincts and gut feeling is nothing but pulling from past experience. That's right. And so it, it might, it might be that you're not really thinking it at first, but when it starts so to develop the same way mm-hmm. it developed before, right away, you're like, whoa, 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 man, I know where this is going, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like, if that, if that critter is starting to move a certain way and you know that Mm, man, I am not going to get an opportunity to stay in here. I better, I better go hard to my right. Uh, or, you know, you have a situation where it's a little bit thicker and all of a sudden you notice that maybe that, that, that stop and scan point. And, and I want to be clear on stop and scan because I know I'm going to talk, I was going to talk about this and set up later and we'll come back to it. But that's one of the things I find that people really don't understand the stop and scan point, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, we had that discussion last Yeah, just last yesterday night. with yeah. our guys that were mm-hmm. coaching. You know, um, some people thought stop and scan, they actually converted it to being to the human being stopping yeah. and scanning yeah. and looking all around. And and that's not it. And I'm going to talk more about that stop and scan spot. But when you realize that that's not happening, you had better move to be in position so that you have an effective killing shot once that critter comes through on that. So you're basically what what's – what the animal is doing, and, and like when I see that you say, um, also is the bull doing or not doing something specific? Yeah, he's not coming in the way it was originally planned, Yeah, basically. Okay, so we all have this vision in our head when they first respond that they're going from point A to point B. <laughs> point A to point B. And when they are coming that way, we are doing our setup in a way so that it's going to help us to have a shot that's going to be broadside and not uh, a frontal, number one. So, you know, we have to think about our setup according to that. So we set up according to how we envision that animal coming in. And then all of a sudden, that animal that was bugling off to the front here has now sounded off way 100 yards, 200 yards to the right. You know, dude, we're up and we're moving and yeah. we're taking gauge of the wind, yeah. you know, and, and we're having to make that move. On that, um, vegetation, you know, is that vegetation allowing, allowing you to move? Do you have a partner? If you have a partner that is back behind you and you can tell that that bull is not advancing, well, I'm letting him know that I am resetting. I'm moving up because of the way he's coming in. And 
Does my partner think, have to move? Not necessarily, right? And, and I think that's what Troy's trying to say is what he's probably heard in several of our podcasts and stuff is in when a bull's not, you know, he's more lazy or not coming to you. He's sounding mm-hmm. off, but he's staying put. Well, he's staying put for a reason, right? And especially if he chuckles at you a little bit or gives a roundup bugle to his gals or whatever it may be, you got to know then that, okay, look, he's not coming, right? He's sounding off regularly in the same spot or he sounds maybe a little further or whatever it may be, but he's not coming. That's when you got to reset. That's when you got to advance and reset your, your position, right? And I well, think and- and, and he's saying about hundred to two hundred yards away too. So we got yeah. to keep yeah. that in mind, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, it, it it also changes like on a solo aspect, right? 100. My setup is ever evolving, like as as I'm going about, because yeah. I'm actually looking like, okay, I'm going to call from right here because yeah. I'm going to go set up over there yeah. because yeah. Yeah. it's going to come to my call right here, yes. and I'm going to be over there when he is walking to here. That's right, Cole. Yeah. And and, and now that you – yeah, you kind of froze up there, Cole, so I'm going to jump over top of you, man, in that um, it, it's real critical what Cole's talking that I hope you guys understand that when you're in that tight, never bugle or call towards that bull. Right, got to be behind you. Throw or those sounds direction. back behind you, okay? Yeah. Um, Cole, you kind of disappeared, so I jumped out on it, so if you want to – that's all I was saying is if you're solo, make sure where you're making your calls from that you are able to drop over to your setup and be able to shoot back to where those calls yeah. from. I missed an opportunity on a bull because I, I... Oh, we lost him. Yeah. So, and, and he's exactly right. Uh, understand that. There I'm are, sure he was going to say he called a bull right to him. Yeah. You know, in, instead of being on that downwind side, you know? Yeah. Yeah, or uh, or he he made the call and he jumped over and the bull came to where the call sound was and he didn't get a chance to get a shot and had to make an right. adjustment, right? Right, right? So you you got to understand that setups are flowing and dynamic. Now, if you're doing a scenario, and when we're talking about a scenario, we're talking about where we are basically putting on a show, where we are painting a picture, where we doing a play of elk doing elk things. And when we do that, we start out in a static setup, meaning we are where we are. And we are pulling animals to us that are most likely going to come in silent. Now, it starts out static, but what if a bull sounds off? All right. Um, well, we might stay in that static position, right? Because he's still coming to us. But now maybe the shooter on one side of where he is is because he recognized where he's coming in because he sounded off will actually move and reset himself. And what are the reasons? It's because where he was setting, he knows where that sound is. He's looking for opened, um, he's looking for open shooting lanes from where that bull's coming from and it's not right. So he's got, he's blocked to the side. All he has an opening is straight in front of him and he's most likely going to get a, a, a frontal or he has, doesn't have good shooting lanes at all and knows he better get in front of the next group of brush in front right. of him to ensure that he has the shooting lane. So these are, you know, shooting lane, wind, you know, is always got to be and backdrop has always got to be on your mind, right? In a setup. And if you don't have it according to where that animal is moving, you reset, reset. Yeah. 
Yeah, and Troy, I think, you know, look, Joe said it just almost perfect. It's really, we failed so much. Our experience tells us when and when and where we, what we need to do, right? So just, just remember that, you know, you got to make your own opportunities. Don't sit back too long and wait for something to happen when it ain't happening. You know, right. uh, the bull's regularly sounding off to you and you're making the right sounds and he's regularly talking to you, but he's not advancing. You got to take it to him. You know, eventually you're going to have to take it to him. If the wind's not right, just don't do anything. Right. Wait, wait. Wait and you, till you get the wind right or, or make another maneuver till you can get the wind right before you get back on him, you know. And, but um, we've yeah. seen a lot of times where we've not been able to advance because the wind's all wrong, you and know. One thing I would add to that, bro, is is sometimes um, and sometimes you don't have to advance. Sometimes you can do something because there might be a reason that he's hanging up. Right. You know, like, let's say that I'm giving him cow calls and he's staying over there and he's like telling me to come to him, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. and I'm not doing it. So the first thing I would try before I do the advancing in there is I might try introducing some bull sounds. And mm-hmm. they would not be a bull scream. I would start with right. raking. I would start sure. with some glunking and stuff mm-hmm. like that just to let him know that there's a reason cow. that cow's not coming to him, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, now that is dynamic. So I'm right. trying that. I'm dipping my toe in that water, and I'm trying to read him. Now, if he stays right there still, and he doesn't advance, and he keeps demanding for that cow to come to him, well, shoot, let's try to do something like that then, man. Maybe yeah. we'll do a, 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 you know, a pleading cow going to him yeah, like that, exactly. right? So Walk right into his life. Yeah. Yeah, we can try <laughs> different things. So, yeah, that's the only thing I would tell you is, is that it's what the bull is doing according to where we are at right now. So there's no way that once I set up and I read the situation as being a failing situation, I'm not going to stay in it. I'm not going to have a bugle fest. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm sitting here bugling, he's screaming back and forth, back and, but he's not advancing or he's even starting to go the other way. There's no way I'm going to sit there and pound that square peg through that round hole. I have to do something different to get a different result. Okay. Joe up next is David Alvarez from Shelton, Washington. Mm-hmm. Mr. David says, I find myself thinking about the next season already and continuing my efforts to cut my learning curve. What are you guys' thoughts on these hunting training camps? Two major ones that I know of are Elk Shape and Western Hunting mm-hmm. Summit that I've started up. And he says, I don't know if you guys know anyone that has attended one of these camps. Did they feel like it was worth their time and investment? Is it something worth looking into deeper? Or on the flip side, continue with my online education and training and find a different aspect I can work on. Try, he says in parentheses here, he says, try a different Elk University or even looking into the outdoor class that just started. Question mark. As always, thank you guys for your time and good luck this Elk season. So do you know about any of these camps, guys? I do know about elk shape. Yeah, and I know about the Western Hunting Summit and elk yes. shape as well, right? Yep. You know, they are. So it, it depends on if you are, you know, what your level in, I guess, uh, hunting is, right? Those, from what I've learned, those, uh, some of those 
hunting summits like the Western Hunting Summit um, is pretty advanced. Like it's talking about some mega backcountry stuff. Um, and then um, I'm not a hundred percent on uh, Dan's elk shape. Um, what his uh, camp looks like. I know it is a lot of, you know, working out and stuff like that. Um, shameless plug though, Joe, uh, me and Joel Vanderloon put on a, uh, it's actually just like a beginner's course. Um, and it is um, intro to hunting here in Texas. Um, and it's four days. And we basically start you out on how to get the ball rolling if you're a new hunter, right? Um, and they can reach out to Joe if they want more information on any of that stuff. But I know that the hunting, the Western Hunting Summit is very, you know, it's pretty advanced. Uh, it's a pretty advanced course. Yeah. So, and Dan, what I've uh, read, you know, Dan's elk shape camps, you know, a lot of people think, cause Dan's a beast on workouts, right? And everybody thinks that that's all it's going to be. And it's not. Um, it's, I mean, it's a lot on shooting. A lot of times he has, uh, Joel Turner there or have Mike, uh, uh, live say there. Um, he'll have Dirk there. I mean, he'll have different people. Um, uh, I think he's had Jason Phelps there. You have different experts in there, each kind of like what we are doing right now, like a success squad. So they're basically putting together a live success squad and coaching all these different areas. And, and you ask if it's worth it. And, so it's worth it if you can afford it. Um, For sure. If it, doesn't, if it yeah. doesn't keep you from being able to hunt that year or, you know, with what you need to do, because I'm, I'm just telling you this. Here's how I look at it. You know, one of those camps, um, let's say it's $1,500 or something like that, right? I want you to think about how much it really costs to come out elk hunting. Because yeah. Guys, no matter what, man, that is an expensive endeavor, no matter what, when you start considering. And if you take a look at coming out for one, two, three, four, five years and and really not advancing in your ability level, I mean, to be able to go and have people step your game up and help that learning curve. Now, you mentioned all of this stuff like the universities. Yeah, I, absolutely, man. He didn't um, mention one that would have probably killed it for him from the beginning, and it's called Base Camp. Go to <laughs> elkbros.com and get in that Base Camp, brother, if you haven't already. It will absolutely Look, help your elk hunting experience. Oh, yeah. David, mm-hmm. I think you're on the right track with knowledge, man. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't ever have enough knowledge. Never. Knowledge is that knowledge power. is the power. Knowledge is the difference. Having more tools in your toolbox. And I, I, I would just tell you that here's the thing that I would say about those camps is that it's one thing to listen to us. Um, and when we're like this. And some of you guys are able to relate to our camaraderie, to our passion and how we feel about this. And, and, and some of you are able to get a pump from that. But let me tell you what, you go to some of these camps when you, you have these people there in person to be able to work with. It is a whole different kind of pump and you come out of there revigorated and enthusiastic and excited and, you know, and you get to pick up a lot of tool sets and you get to ask questions of these people right there. You have pretty much a captured team, you know, to be able to ask questions. So, you know, I, knowing the individuals that I know that put on these camps and I've seen some of the lineup for the Western Hunting Summit and how it's done, 
you know, if you can afford to do it and it doesn't dent you, um, it's absolutely worth it. There's no way that it's that that's not going to be worth it. Now, if it was something that that um, doesn't have the type of people that are going to be able to up your game, then you know, and you'll hear real quick from people. People are real, real quick to go, ah, <laughs> that wasn't worth what I paid for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we live in a review society, and people. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty yeah. quick to let you know on forums or anything like that. And I have yeah, bad news travels really fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And good and, news is real slow. And there's oh. a reason why these summits and Dan's elk shape sell out. And that's because they deliver. Okay. So sure. now, uh, um, at the same time, you take a look at that cost there and yeah, well, add to that the podcast and and what and all of this information, uh, the Elk Universities, our online course, um, the Elk Collective, Palm Adele's Elk Nut app, Absolutely. right? Chris Rose stuff that's out there. You know, when you when you put all of this stuff together, what you're doing is, and a lot of people go, man, it's just too much information. Well, it's just like here's how, here's how I want to connect this. All right. It's just the same as when you are trying to decide a place to hunt. Mm-hmm. You look at the whole forest instead of those places that are going to attract elk, instead of just eliminating some things. And so when you do all of this stuff, you look for those common denominators. You know, you're going to look for those things that might be a little different, but it's kind of the same thing. That tells you something. That tells you that that's been effective for that person, that person, that person, this person, you know, so that's something to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And then you might hear a little bit of a nugget here and there that you, in a different way, that helps you to understand it better. So I I think that's where the value is in that, you know, is being able to learn things from different people in different modes, you know. Yep. So And good luck to you too, David, this elk season. Absolutely, man. Joe, you're up next, brother. All right, man. Oh, just from our buddy, Charlie. Charlie Newberry. Yeah, and he ain't in Idaho, man. Mm. Texas. <laughs> if he is, he's a long way I from home, I just talked to Joe. Charlie the other day. Did you really? Yeah. Great Charlie, guy. He, yeah, Charlie called me the other day. We we talked dirt bikes. <laughs> you talked that really, <laughs> Charlie? Man, he man, he is a yeah. man of all of all trades. There, Charlie, we love you, dude. Thank you. Hey, you know Charlie's all right, but his wife, she yes, brought brownies, man. Brought brownies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Charlie says, I got a question. What other scenarios would help lure cows? We ain't picky. Lost calf, cow party, lost cow. Maybe calf in distress, like a predator getting one, anything outside the box. But basically, he's like, if they see a, a cow, you know, they're going to, they're an equal opportunity taker and they're going to do it. So what kind of things could you, could you use to be able to pull those cows in? He, he mentioned all of them right there. Yeah. he he. I have actually brought in some cows by bugling. Ab- yeah. Absolutely. Believe it or not. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. With with a bull in tow, but the first ones to show up was the cows, cows and yeah. they were running like they were so excited to come see me. It was unreal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, For real. I bet you were wearing your cut off jeans, bro. <laughs> That's what it was. 
<laughs> guarantee you. That lost calf, man, I don't know. I've never been able – if I've seen a cow and I did a lost calf, dude, they were on it like a rat on a Cheeto, buddy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were coming. It's just maternal instinct for them. You know? And, Charlie, uh, what, what I would tell you – You better be ready for predators, too, <laughs> especially if you're in black bear country. Yeah. Well, yeah, calf or cow, man. I yeah. mean, I've yeah. come into a cow call. But, you know, Charlie, I'm going to tell you that to me, anything that you would use to pull a bull's cows to you in hopes of bringing that bull. And so when yeah. you think about those things, you've mentioned most of them, and Cole mentioned the other one, was the, you know, sounding like a bull that's doing a roundup bugle, mm-hmm. um, uh, trying to, you know, or displaying to those cows to say, hey, I'm the guy, come on over to me, right? You know, I I know for sure if I sound like a big, older, more mature bull, and that's not easy to do, it just depends on the bull they're with. Yeah. But if you start sounding all nasty and big with cow, those those cows will they will come over to you, man. Mm-hmm. You know? A cow wants to be with the bull that's going to be the biggest, strongest bull to help her have a good, strong calf. All right. Yep. Yeah, I think all of those work out. Man, these were three totally different types of questions. They yep. were three awesome questions, man. Absolutely. Yep. Well, guys, you know what time it for is. Sure. It's time for the Elk Bros shout-outs. If you're new to our show, this is just shout-outs to a few cities. With the most listeners topping our charts this week, Joe. Yep, yep. Um, and, guys, before we um, head over to the top listening cities, we're going to actually um, – we're going to – have something here that we haven't had in a while, man. <laughs> Bring it back. Bring back. Here's a tip from our buddy, the old Billy Goat himself. All right. Hey, guys, this is the old Billy Goat with another tip for you. Water purification. A lot of us run with these hand pumps. They're very good. They do a great job of purifying the water. The filters are expensive. They're like 55 bucks a piece. One thing I found that helps get more mileage out of your filter is... We wrap our pre-filter in a coffee filter. Wrap it around, put a rubber band on it. It works great. It saves you uh, probably an additional third of the life of your your filter because it strains up. It pumps a little harder, yes. It's a little harder to pump the water through, but it does a great job. You can see a lot of the crap, even though the water looked absolutely beautiful. Hopefully you can see all the crap it filtered out. So, guys... Stay a coffee filter, wrap around your pre-filter with a rubber band. You'll save your filter. All right, guys, that's your tip from the old Billy Goat. Stay safe. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, baby. That's a good yeah. idea. Dude, that's a great tip. Oh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I've, I I don't know how many times that I've been uh, – I've ruined filters from not having a good pre-filter um, mm-hmm. in the backcountry. Uh, I almost feel like the Billy Goat might have been watching some Flatlander, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> if he ain't, he better be. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I, you know, hey, I'm like, forget the Great filters, kid. y'all, man. Be a man, suck up that crap, man. Just <laughs> take it. <laughs> take your dances, man. Not out of any beaver water, man. You're no, real. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no. Oh, yeah, man. and especially, I mean, uh, I, I'm just funny, man, because if you're in cattle country, and you start I know. Stuff, you're, you're in trouble. You're in trouble, trouble man. <laughs> All right.
right, guys, this week's top listening city is famous for being home to the world's only monument to an insect. Yep, <laughs> the Bow Weevil Monument is an enormous marble statue of a Greek woman holding a large bug over her head. A bow weevil. But why would a city pay homage to an insect that had at one time totally devastated the U.S. economy? Look, since its arrival in the U.S. in 1892, y'all, the bow weevil had cost the American cotton industry more than $23 billion in losses. Now, equate that to today, what oh, yeah. that would be, man. Trillions. Yeah. Well... So here's the deal. H.M. Sessions, this guy, a seed broker in this city, saw what was coming, and he searched for another crop that could be grown in the same harsh soil conditions that cotton thrived on. Well, the answer, y'all, is an answer he found visiting in North Carolina, a thing called peanuts. <laughs> Sessions came back with peanut seed and convinced a farmer there to plant his entire crop in peanuts. And that farmer scored a huge profit. So while the rest of the country was being devastated by the bow weevil, it was this city along with the rest of Coffee County, Alabama, that flourished by becoming the largest producer of peanuts and peanut oil in the country. So really, guys, for this area, the bow weevil actually, it was, it was lemons from lemonade, y'all. And that's exactly. it. Enterprise, Alabama. Eey-oh. Enterprise, Eey-oh. Alabama. Alabama. Been there. Eey-oh. Beautiful little town just <laughs> east of Dothan, Alabama. Been there. Been there. Been there. I have been there. Kelly's, Kelly's cousin lives in Dothan, and we went through Enterprise there. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know, dude. Oh, I tell God. you what. Yeah, it was kind of nice because there, there was one city that we had, and I was like, and I think they even had oil in that place there, man. And Gil was like, never been there. I was like, I was shocked, man. <laughs> yeah. I about passed out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Joe, this next city is located in Whatcom County on the bank of the New Skaks. Nuke Sack River. Our next top listening city was named after the Norwegian-born immigrant Ever Everson, the okay. first pioneer homesteader on the site. The city is also the starting point of an 18-mile canoe leg of the iconic ski-to-sea race. A ski-to-sea team consists of three to eight racers competing in seven different sports, cross-country skiing, Downhill, ski slash snowboarding, running, road bike, canoe with two paddlers, and cycle cross bike, and a sea kayak. And this takes place in Everson, Washington. Everson, Washington. Washington. What kind of cool event is that, man? Exactly. (laughs) In Whatcom County. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I think I'm trying to remember how far... Um, this entire thing is, I think it's like 55 miles um, total on this race. And so it's like different legs. It's kind of like a triathlon, but an Ironman. Yeah. It's kind of like that, but you're cross country skiing. Then you're downhill skiing, you're snowboarding, running road bike, canoe, (laughs) cyclocross bike and sea kayak, man. And I mean, you had better be somebody to be able to win that thing. I would guess it had to be in the in the wintertime because it had to have snow, huh? That's so, what I was going to say. 
It's it's actually in May, but they still oh. have snow up, up high. on the hills. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, right. okay. So, so I was going to say, happened. how do you get a kayak out in the ice? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. So you think about it, they're actually they're actually starting coming down from winter, coming yeah. into spring. Yeah. You know? yeah. Okay. So probably plenty of water. Yeah. How? I mean, that's pretty. And and I'm sorry, but this whole place, man, the whole idea that this guy's name was Ever Everson. Yeah, <laughs> I was Ever, like, Everson. Ever Everson. How yeah. cool is that? Whatcom County. And they live in Whatcom County. Whatcom. You know. <laughs> okay. Stack. All right. You know, right. I, so yeah, that shows baby. the nature of the people that lived there because they're like, you know, um, what are you going to do if it snows? What are you going to do if it has floods? What are you going to do? Whatever comes, what comes, we got it. Fuck <laughs> so, comes. Oh lord. Yeah. Uh, my daughter's oh, rolling man. her eyes right now. She's like, Dad, Joe. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man. All right. This next city, known for being one of the safest places for families to live in the entire state of Utah, in name for a local native. Uh, Chief and Son, our next top listening city has been home to notable people such as the highest paid child actor of the 70s, actor Gary Coleman of the sitcom comedy uh, Different Strokes, along early settler uh, John Holiday and professional rodeo cowboy Wesley Silcox. Uh, they were all residents of Santa Quinn, Utah. Santa Quinn, Utah. That's cool. Santa Quinn. What you talking about? Utah. What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> what you talking about? Yeah. Yep. Good uh, show. Yeah. Uh, Gary Coleman, man. That 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 face and that. What you talking about? That that was it for the time, man. For sure. Next up, named for Stephen A. Douglas and located in the middle, of some of the most unusual and breathtaking freestanding rock formations back in 1861. This village was originally a training camp and staging center for Union forces that was then, one year later, hastily adapted to serve as a prison for rebel soldiers captured by Ulysses S. Grant at Fort Douglas. I'm sorry, the cat, oh, I'm sorry, where the grant was at Fort Donaldson. That's where that battle took place. An interesting fact that most people don't know about Stephen A. Douglas, I thought this was so cool, man, is that back when he lived in Illinois, he briefly courted a young Mary Todd. If you don't remember that name, Mary Todd went on to marry Stephen's future rival and the man that defeated him for the presidency in the election of 1860. Abraham Lincoln. Wow. <laughs> a big Elk Bro shout out to Camp Douglas, Wisconsin. Camp Douglas, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Midwest shows up. Heck yeah. Yep. Joe, yeah. I, I looked up Everson, Washington. It is just almost on the border of Canada and Washington State. It's like just southeast of Vancouver. Yeah, because it's at the base of the Cascades, man. Yeah, man. It's, it's looks like some beautiful country. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Cool. Some great I, cities today. One of those places we have to visit. I I would love to see an event. I don't know why an event like that hasn't showed up. I mean, my TV shows snot pulling, man. I don't know why we haven't seen this thing. <laughs> Curling. <laughs> oh, it's like <laughs> curling. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I mean, of all the things that, I mean, there are so many different competitions on, I mean, all of these channels and stuff that you go to 
pick at. I even watched this one show where it was a commentator and it was marble racing down through. <laughs> Look, man, I saw on ESPN the other day they had professional <laughs> cornhole. I'm like, oh yeah, oh yes, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's serious on ESPN. Yeah. Wow, yeah. pretty cool. I mean, I, I like playing cornhole too. I just didn't know it was that big. Oh so, yeah. <laughs> have Have you seen the professional <laughs> version of tag? No, no, I haven't. Yes, I just you. saw that. Did you see it? Tag. Yeah. Hmm. So they have. Dude, it's like parkour. It's like the fastest parkour. Yeah. yeah. They have all really? of the obstacles, and they, they, there's four guys on each team, and it's who can score tag. And I mean, guys try to avoid them going through this course before they get. And guys are flipping through these bars, over these bars, under these bars. It is unbelievable. But they have turned our childhood game of tag into a competitive sport <laughs> on people. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. oh I'm sorry, I, I, I digress. <laughs> Did you hear that, y'all? I've got to take a second from the show to tell you about the Enchantress call from Slayer Calls. This call, it gets you the most realistic bugles and cow calls I have ever heard from an external. Look, the folks at Slayer Calls designed this external call to act just like a human tongue. So literally, with the push of a button, anyone can use this bad boy to bring those puppies running. Look, if you struggle with diaphragm calls or you have a partner that's just not able to call, y'all, this right here is your ticket to sucking those bulls right on in. If you want to try the Enchantress, which they're calling the Elk Slayer now, to put me in your freezer, then just use our code. It's one word, ElkBroSlay. Again, that's the code, ElkBroSlay, on SlayerCalls.com. <laughs> All right, y'all. Tonight's main content, we are talking about the Elk Bros Adventure Success Squad. Um, each one of us here that you're seeing are, are part of that. We're actually missing some of those squad members tonight. You got to hear um, uh, Guy Duplanche last week. You got to hear from uh, Travis O'Shea last week. Um, we've yet to see uh, Chav, and, and um, we haven't been able to see Luis, who we thought would be here this evening, um, but uh, some things came up for them. So we are going into um, those things, those glaring common problems or issues from our areas of focus, and trust me, the areas that we're getting ready to talk about, these sectors take up multiple podcasts, right, um, that we feel could be a great learning moment for all our listeners and possibly improve their odds of success if they take note and make changes or add this to their repertoire, their toolbox, or fix those things and those holes that they're having issues with right now. So um, Gilbert and RC is going to be up first. And you guys, um, tell everybody about the area that you've been working with the guys with and, and then those top failure points that seemed that most of our guys that you were dealing with hadn't realized. Go ahead, RC. Well, I think one of them was that, um, drawing the bow. Yeah. Yeah. That you got to draw the bow and, and so 
That was one of the big failure points. So in, in what way, Archie? I mean, explain to me, how, how is drawing your bow a problem for guys that are elk hunting? I mean, guys are, I mean, we draw bows a hundred freaking times when we're out on the shooting range. Why is it becoming, why is drawing the bow becoming a problem for guys elk hunting? Well, because the elk has come in mm-hmm. and generally has spotted them. And so they freeze and they think, well, if I move, he's going to move. Or he, I'm going to scare him off, you know. And so it's like you have to draw the bow. The elk is going to probably more than likely move, but he's like, you know, there's times when you do draw the bow when the elk's moving. All he picked up was more movement of the tree or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And you just have to draw the bow. You can't shoot if you don't draw the bow. You ain't going to hit the ball if you don't swing. That's no true. doubt, buddy. That's right. You know, we talk to the guys and let them kind of explain to us their their uh, their misfortunes, and every one of them's misfortune either they didn't draw or they couldn't get it drawn right. And what do you mean every, they couldn't get it drawn? They had trouble drawing, or no? They just they the elk stopped in a different spot that they oh. couldn't draw the bow. And I'm like, why didn't you draw anyway? <laughs> you know, if that elk stops, he's got to go again. You know, we got to draw the bow. You know, it's it's the most important thing. And I think as a young caller myself, you know, I've been doing it a little while, but everybody that I've had with me that have had opportunities, they just didn't draw. You know, and I'm like, Jiminy Christmas, I'd have been drawn 20 times already, you know. But there, everything that happens to you in the elk woods is magnified so much, right? We learn so much as hunters, whitetail hunters, pig hunters, whatever you might be hunting with your bow. It pales in comparison when you got a thousand pound animal screaming blood and fire at you and he's walking you down from 70, 80 yards out, right? They cover ground so fast that you get really truly mesmerized. Number one, at their sheer majestic look of them coming through there where they don't touch anything with an antler, right? I mean, they're rolling their head through there and here they come. And before you know it, they're inside that bubble at 30 yards like that. And you haven't even, you've just been watching the whole display, right? And you're like, Holy crap, this is real. Or you're looking through your rangefinder the whole time, trying to figure out where he's going to stop and start and when it should have happened way before time, right? So guys get really married to that rangefinder and they forget that, man, the only way we're going to be able to harvest one of these animals is if we get drawn, guys. You got to draw your bow. You know, again, I'm going to harken back to last season. We are all taking video of of a duck in the middle of a walla, and every one of us are taking video. None of us got our bow up by us, and this bull walks in our set after we put on this long scenario. This bull walks in our set, and we somebody has got to draw their bow, right? You didn't even have your bow in your hands, did you? No. Bows were sitting down at our sides. So now the bull walks in, Joe, at 18, less than 18 yards. 
Okay. And he's chewing, you can hear him sucking water and chewing that grass as he's, I mean, he's eating and chewing and he'll raise his head up and look around and everything. And we're all trying to scramble to get to our bows, right? Well, RC's the first one that gets his bow in his hand. And man, trying to get drawn on that critter that close, every time RC would try to go and draw his bow back, he would hit the side of that tree and go, <laughs> man, that bull about to lose his mind, you know? He'd shoot his head up and look at us like, what in the hell was that? But we were set up in a really good spot because our setup was right. Yeah. yeah. We had all that cover. We, he actually almost drew like three times on that bull, right? But every time he would, he, he'd get hung up doing something like that. Well, the third time, that was it. The bull had enough of it. And one of the times was me because I unloosed an arrow and it hit my riser. Clank. And he shot up and looked in like, Oh my God, we're all frozen solid, right? Finally, that third time, he and he couldn't take it, man, and he bailed out of there. Well, had we had just went, oh, man, it's over. You know, he bailed out of here on us. No, we got on the cow call. I got on the cow call, cow to, cow call to him and barked a little bit, and he stopped broadside at 53 yards, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, luckily, both RC and I had an arrow knocked by that time, and RC says, look, he's way too far. And he, I said, all I need is the yardage. I had him ranged at 50. Brendan yells out 53. And I sent it, and it was over with. But, again, we don't ever get there if we don't get the bow drawn back. Yeah, and, and I want to go back to a couple things. Um, You know, first of all, I want to go back to what you said about RC, like where he was at. And, and that's really something to think about because that's the point I brought up the other day that a lot of people are out fishing for elk man they're out there yeah. casting out calls they're doing different things like that and but they're they're not ready for a strike in other words you know when i'm walking through the elk woods anytime i stop the first thing i tell myself is what if a bull showed up yeah. so i you know immediately you find if i'm in the shadows am i in front of stuff or am i standing at a bunch of sticks where i'm not going to be able to do anything because then you're screwed so mm -hmm. you always have to put yourself it's kind of like a fisherman you got to have always that pull pull set so that you can set the hook so that's one thing to think about but when you got when you guys talked about our hunters I'm, I wonder because what's in their mind? What's in their mind? The reason that they don't draw their bow and they scared I, to booger the bull. They're scared to booger the bull, right? They're scared that they're going to scare the bull off. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I constantly tell people is like, okay, let's do the math, right? So <laughs> if I don't draw and that bull walks by me, most of the time that bull is going to hit my scent line, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. As soon as he does that, he's done. But even if he, at some point, he's going to smell me, he's going to be out there. If I do nothing, that bull is going to walk out of my life. So what was my opportunity? Zero. I had zero opportunity. Now, most guys figure, well, if I let them walk by, I might get another opportunity if he, like, stays in the area or turns around or something like that. Now, look, if you have a bull that you never made a cow call or a bull sound or anything, and you walked in and he's feeding in a park, okay. 
different story. You might have multiple opportunities to draw on that animal and multiple opportunities to move. But if you've been calling and that animal is coming into you and he's in search mode, he is going to go to a point where he's going to go to where he knew he heard that animal. And when he does that, he's most likely going to walk right by you or he's going to send you or he's going to get into a position that you're not going to have a shot and is going to disappear out of your life. Are you going to see that bull again? So let's talk about elk behavior at this time of year. Bulls are cruising all over the mountain, right? Um, bulls yeah. with cows are constantly being pushed, and they're moving, moving, moving. Um, can you come across another bull again? Yeah, there's a possibility, but it's not it's not likely, you know. Sometimes if you're in an area that's not disturbed, if you're on private land, it's a whole different ball game than public land. That's all I want to say to you about that. But, yeah, Gilbert, it's the – now, if, if that bull is coming – and I draw on that bull. Is there a chance that I'm going to booger that bull and he's going to run off? Sure. Well, but what's that's the same result if I do nothing. Absolutely. At least if I you draw. don't even get a chance to shoot at him if he if you don't draw. You don't get a chance, man. If, well, I, like, at I, least I, I'm I, giving I, myself a chance if I draw, right? Yeah, I had a hunter with me two, three years ago, and I'm telling you, we walked. We were easing up this fire break. And I happened to, I happened to see antlers coming up the side of the ridge on the right hand side. We'd been calling and setting up calling and this bull was actually looking for us, right? He just didn't know exactly where we were because we kept moving and he was coming and coming and coming. He caught movement of us moving and I stopped my hunter and I said, stop, stop right there. There's a bull and he caught our movement, right? But luckily, our hunter had one of the predator decoys on the front of his bow. So we, we knelt down and he saw that. He saw that decoy and he was like, Oh man, look at that. It looks like a cow, you know? And he just, but he didn't really kind of, he didn't really know, right? What, whether it was or not. So he it was a nice five by five and he just kind of turned and started walking to the, in front of us and he was, almost walking away with his head high and kind of stomping. And I'm like, oh, he's a little uneasy, right? He's he's a little nervous. So, man, I cow called real soft two or three times. Dude, that sucker turned around and came in like he was like dumb as a bag of hammers. Here he comes roaring up in there on us. And I'm like, draw, draw, draw. I'm going to stop him. Draw, draw. And again, it's like watching the show, man. We got a bag of popcorn and a Coke. And, you know, I tell my girls all the time, you want to play softball or you want a bag of popcorn and a Coke? Sit up there and watch. I mean, there is something to be doing here, right? I mean, the bull rolls in there 35 yards and he stops broadside. Yeah, he's in some brush and everything, but he's going to move. We got to get drawn. He, man, he stares us down for, I don't know, four or five minutes. And, you know, we're standing there with a decoy and everything. I'm looking. I'm like, Jiminy Christmas, dude. Draw your, I said, draw, draw. He goes, he's doing a booger. I said, draw anyway. Man, the bull, I'm sure the bull's hearing us talking, right? And because, because y'all know I'm not super patient. Right? Anyway, anyway, the bull turns like he's going to walk out of our life and I call him back again. Listen to me. I called that five by five back at least five times 
My hunter says seven, but I know it was five times for sure. And we never got drawn. And I'm, I'm so aggravated because all we got to do is draw that bow. And one time we had him at 42 broadside and we just needed to move a little bit and be drawn. And when we got him, you know, it is so important for our hunters to listen to their coaches or guides or whomever they're with. Man, you got to draw your bow back. We're never going to get a shot if we don't draw. So most most guys are like, but I don't know when to draw, right? It's, yeah. It's the biggest one that I hear from people, and, and it's like this. I mean, if you have an 85% let off bow, as soon as you have any idea of sound that he's getting ready to come through to your area, you can draw. Yeah. You know? Um, depending on what your setup is doing. So let's say that, and, and then yeah, you're holding until he gets in position, right? Walks into you like that. Well, let's say you didn't get drawn and that bull comes into your area. When do you draw? Okay. Listen closely. As soon as that bull is in your shooting lane, you draw. And when you do it, give a grunt. Okay. Now I recommend that while you're shooting now until you get to the season, I want you to draw, grunt, grunt and shoot your target. Shoot. Okay. Yep. Draw, bugle, shoot your target. Draw, walks two steps to the right, cow call, shoot your target. Get used to the feeling of doing that. But mm-hmm. you're going to draw when that animal is in your shooting Chill lane. Zone, yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't do it like if you didn't get drawn and that animal's coming by, do not Wait for its head to get behind a tree. Mm-mm. That's like, that is a severe no-no, man. Huge um, mistake. Yeah, it's a huge mistake. And if you don't believe us, go ahead and do it. And and, <laughs> and then his vitals will be behind the tree when he stops. Every time. Exactly. Elk yeah. have yeah. a fatal His head will be out and yeah. looking at when, you. When they I don't want to shoot him in his eyeball. And, and it has to be, it's because of um, proximity. Now, the closer they are to you and you move, they're going to jump a little bit, but they're yeah. still going to stop and turn broadside to see what spooked them. It and might only be 15 enough, feet. Yeah. And if they're out enough where that isn't going to, you know, be on them immediately, then they're going to stop and look. And, and that's why we're telling you this, okay? So when to draw is when they're yeah. coming into the area. Go ahead, Cole. And I would also say, so here's my little thing. This is what I've been trying to um, talk to Joel about because Joel's a, a somewhat new elk hunter, right? He's only been in the game. This will be his third hunt for elk this season. Um, and he, you know, we've been going through all this stuff as well. And uh, he was like, so after, you know, when I, when the bull's coming in, I think I'm about to shoot. When should I draw? Um, so what I like to say is, don't worry about their head or don't even look at any of that. You need to be That's looking fine. for your kill zone. Right. As soon as it is in your shooting range and you have clear sight of your kill zone, draw wow. your bow. Yeah. Because more than likely, even if he's behind a tree or so you think his head is, he's going to catch movement. As long as you can see the kill zone, I think you should draw your bow. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, if he's frontal, if he's frontal or whatever and he's at 10 yards and you don't want to take a shot like that, draw your bow. He's going to bounce out there 20 yards and stand oh, broadside and know. see what made that movement. Yeah, exactly. um, so just always keep your eye, always keep your eye on the kill zone. That's where you need to be paying attention to. Yeah. You can't shoot at his head or his neck or any of that. Once he clears everything, 
draw your bow. Like Absolutely. if you know, okay, his kill zone's fixing to come out, draw. Next thing you know, he's going to stop it without even making a noise probably you know, and look right at you. That's funny, dude, because I don't even like – in, in my mind, when that animal's in the zone, I'm never looking at anything else but Me that kill. Either. So, mm-hmm. like, when I'm saying I'm drawn mm-hmm. as soon as it's in my in my shooting lane, I'm looking at the kill. That's yeah. all I'm looking at. Yeah. And so yeah. when I draw back yeah. and I grunt and he stops and turns and looks it's at over. his head, yeah, it's, it's, it's already over. My it's arrow over. is on its way, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, that, that's a great failure point to, to talk about because one of your guys, I was talking to Adam the other day and he's like, I keep telling myself, I gotta, he says, it, it's so weird to me to change that thought process because when they come in, I want to just lock up exactly. until I know that I can draw because they're not able to see me. So right. like RC mentioned two things. He said, one, they've stopped because they see something. They don't know if it's you and, and they might get, be getting nervous. Well, yeah, heck yeah. Draw on that animal, man. Draw on him. See, you know, at least you're in position. So if he starts to run a little bit and you cow call and now he stops broadside, you still have that shot. You're already locked and loaded, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If he's moving and coming, just like what we said right there, man. But Adam's like, dude, I got to put that in my head. Draw, draw, draw. Yeah, and a lot of times when they're moving and you draw, it'll stop them. They'll stop and look at you, yep. right? I mean, you, you, they won't booger. They'll just stop. And I, I've I've seen that happen several yeah. times, right? They won't just blow up and booger because they just caught the movement while they're moving, right? And and they're like, "What was that?" By that time, man, it's it should be done, over, game over, man. Yep. Uh, you just gotta draw your bow. The second thing, Joe, that we talked with them about so much was, you know. Once they draw their bow, they got to be real confident at their distance, you know, being able to judge their distances, you know, knowing what 40 yards looks like, you know, and, and, and being at least being able to judge that, right? Um, it gets tougher in, in your, when you're in the thicker cover or darker trees and stuff like that, but not being married to that range finder other than just a few object that you may, that you may judge around you, right? But not being married to that range. Finder. The bows we shoot today are so flat shooting that if you judge him 35 and you shoot him for 40 and you're shooting mid-body, you shouldn't be but maybe a couple of inches high, you know, at, at the most. I mean, now, yeah. if you're shooting a setup like Luis shoots where you got that arrow that goes and goes down like that because so <laughs> uh, no I'm just joking guys uh, but, but these bows that we shoot nowadays are so flat shooting. I missed a bull last year. Because of that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I did. <laughs> yeah, like I have I, that big R six hundred yes. grain, yes. six hundred grain arrow. Yes. Yeah, look like I said, uh, man. And it yes, was uh, not good. Yeah, well, and, and like I said, man, Sorry. you're going to miss Sorry. some of those opportunities because we don't understand the yardage. These younger guys, these younger elk hunters, if they don't know the yardage, man, if you don't know, don't try to guess. That's just going to end up in a bad deal, man. You yeah. hit that bull somewhere that you don't want to hit him, and, I mean, he's toting your arrow around for the rest of his life, man. Really, you really owe it to the animal to understand your distance and what you can do, your effective killing range. It's another thing in itself, right? If, if but, all you can estimate is, and if you can judge 30 yards, and really, man, I really think 30, 30 in – I think that is the distance to really know because Agreed. that's when things pop in on you and you don't have time to grab that range finder. Generally, yeah. if they're 40 and out, 
generally you can have a little moment to be able Um, to do that because of proximity. mm -hmm. But when they're right on top of you like that, man, that should be a done deal. I mean, practice that, Mm -hmm. know that, be able to judge that. And, you know, um, I think it was it. Was it you, Cole? I'm not sure if it was you or if it was O'Shea that was talking about, you know, looking at different animals at different distances. What is it that you can see at 30 yards on that animal? How much of that definition can you see? Mm -hmm. You know, can you see the hair on it? Can you see certain things? Um, When that animal's at 50, what happens in vision-wise to that animal so that you can tell how far they are? Now, a lot of problem with that is how bright it is or how dark it is because of the way the eye works. But really, man, if you work on 30 in, you're ready for those oh-crap moments. Yeah, and and again, Joe, in our setups, take the time in your setup – once you're set to range some things in front of you, don't wait until that you get the animal coming at you and you're trying to hang on to that rangefinder while he's coming because it's mesmerizing. You're gonna get caught with your pants down because you're holding that rangefinder when when you set up first. The furthest thing you saw, you should have probably rangefinder said, okay, well if it comes within that tree or that boulder or whatever. The 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 morning I killed that big bull that I killed with Chab. I knew that the top of that ridge from where I was sitting was 70 yards. I knew exactly to that oak brush how far that was because it's the farthest thing I could see anyway, right? So I needed to know where that was. I needed to know where 60, 50, 40 were and, you know, had elk walking over me at 12 yards. But it really, I needed to know that distance. And then when I look up and see the bull coming, well, I know he's within 68 to 70 yards of that oak brush. And I know exactly where I'm going to hold on him. But it's really about what you do before the moment gets there to yeah. put yourself in, in good success, and, man. And see, there, there's – you. okay, you just brought up a, a really, really cool point is that it's kind of like when you're a good guard in basketball or you're a good quarterback in football, you're seeing what is going on in your – in peripheral. So you you see that animal coming. The first thing I do, man, when an animal's coming is I'm looking for my shot spots, man, immediately. And I'm looking and assessing where that's going to be if that animal's going there. And I'm looking and I'm going, okay, hit that tree. That tree's right about 20 right there. Okay. So, you, you know, don't get caught up just watching the animal. In fact, yeah. I'm going to tell you that it will relax you more to not do that. If you go through your steps locating where that animal is going to be and prepping yourself for the shot on that and looking, okay, but and, and it'll happen, man. They're like going this way. All of a sudden they stop and they turn and they start coming the other way. Well, now you reassess, you know, you just reassess. Now that he's turned, where could be the next spot that are coming at? And that's what you're looking for. And you're getting your body in the correct position. And people are like, what, you move when they're coming in? Absolutely, I move when they're coming in. Heck yeah, got to. And that's one of the things that they don't, they're like, move? Look, if I'm on my knees and that animal is, and he's coming more to my right side than I want him to, I'm taking my knees and I'm just slowly turning just like that so that I'm getting in position. Because if I don't, again, what am I doing to my opportunity? For sure. Yeah. Joe, when we had that stand, eight minute standoff with that bull, I, when I, when he decided to leave and you blew the bugle, I had to step out from an, from a daggum aspen tree, had to step a hard step left just to get to the kill zone and kill him. He didn't care. 
He yeah. had no clue what was going on. I guarantee he was looking right at me when I shot him. There was nothing, nothing he could do once I, once that pen got settled where it needed to be. It was too late. You know, you, you guys have got to understand that you got to make your opportunity when the opportunity arises. If you lock up and you don't draw your bow and you don't move or whatever you need to do to get to send it. Not every setup is going to be perfect where he walks right into where you want him to. And very rarely, never. I have never had one that was perfect like that. So, I mean, I hear lots of people say, I shot that bull at 15 yards. Yeah. Well, great on you, brother. My average is about 40. So, oh. <laughs> you know, good deal. And through some really thick, nasty stuff, but that's, that's where we hunt you know know where know where you're hunting i probably shot i probably shot 60 percent of mine 20 and under that's so good i've I've killed one at six yards yeah yeah it just i I hope one day experience that what's that called (laughs) i said he's the convincer for sure man (laughs) you just convince them to come right up to you yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I I know one thing is we were talking about this earlier in the podcast, Joe, in knowing you know the setup, right? And mm-hmm. and and I know you and you and Cole are going to touch on that, but there you can actually see that bull walk coming to where you're going to kill him, right? So you know when you're probably going to draw if you can see him coming from a good ways off. And he's coming. You don't need to do anything but let him just keep keep on rolling, man. Yeah. And when he gets to that spot where you know you can kill him, he's going to be broadside or whatever. And, draw. And draw let's your say you've got a screen. Let's say you've got a screen of yeah. brush, right? And right. you're seeing him moving. You can see, like, parts of him moving through it, yeah. getting ready to break into that stop and scan or out. He's going to come out to where you're going to have. Man, if you see him moving behind that stuff, draw. Because Absolutely. people are like, well, it does, what if he sees me moving on the other side? No, look, it's he's moving. He's got brush moving by his eyes like that. And, you know, he has created the perfect situation for you. So if you see them starting to go through and they're coming in your direction and they are screened, before they pop out, you want to draw, okay? Uh, and he's not going to. Even if you made a noise, he's probably not going to hear that, man, because they're big animals making a lot of noise coming through that stuff. Yeah. Okay. So since Joe you did. mentioned it. Go ahead. I, I was going to head over. Are you, are you, I was one, one more thing that RC and I talked with them about is their gear that they use when they're hunting. Like if you don't hunt with gloves on and you're not practicing with gloves on, mm-hmm. it's a big failure point. Guys don't really understand how much pressure they put on that release when they've got gloves on. So if you're hunting with a glove on, you better be practicing with that glove on. It's going to feel different when you lay your finger on that release. If you shoot release, you're going to, it's going to be different. I've watched guys shoot clean over animals and out into the abyss because they didn't understand what that glove felt like, right? Or the decoy on your bow. It's a huge, if you've never shot through that before, it can be a very daunting task the first time you draw your bow back, right? So those are huge 
huge failure points, your gear that you're going to hunt with, you better be practicing with it. If you're going to hunt with your pack on, you shoot with your pack on. If you're going to hunt with, you know, a binox, uh, attached to your, to the front of you and in, in like a, a binox case, shoot, man. Cause a lot of times if you lean back and you got to lean around something, you're going to hit that bino case. So shoot in those with that equipment that you have on and, and practice with that equipment you have on. When you mentioned the gloves, I mean, if, if anybody's ever to see me hunting, all of my fingers right up at the top knuckles here were always cut out. Mm -hmm. Um, and even off my, you know, on my non-shooting hand, I would have it like that just because if I needed to get things in a hurry, I didn't want to not have the feel for stuff that I needed to grab. Right. I'm a gloveless guy. Yeah. No gloves. Same gloves. Uh, yeah, I, I don't no think glove, I'd buddy. ever have anything on my trigger finger. Now, I carry gloves in my pack. Mm -hmm. So in case I need to do something working-wise or, you know, we're dealing with, you know, hauling meat or whatever, I've got a pair of leather gloves in my pack, but yeah. I don't wear them. They don't, make men, they don't make men's size gloves. <laughs> well, you got paws like cinder blocks like the Flatlander does. Yeah, That's right. right about that, baby. Yeah. Double XL, baby. Yeah. So, so I want to go to the realizations on setups. On, yes, sir. And, and I think the first thing, the most, the thing that I saw most people going really about, and, and which was odd to me, and yet I see it all the time. Like when I'm guiding people and I tell them to set up, I see them immediately go up and get behind or hide a behind a tree or yeah. a bush, right? And mm -hmm. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> because I mean, we're, we're not, you know, we're not worrying about snipers or anything like that. We, we are, we're no. hunting elk, man. And you're they're not shooting back at us. No, man. They're not shooting back <laughs> at us. So you, <laughs> that's, that's funny. Man. So, so you've got Thank to, God. you never set up behind and people were amazed when I said that I go and get in front of stuff and I get far enough in front of it so that I'm clear on all of my shooting and I just make sure that I have a backdrop. And when I go set up, I'm setting up where I've got good shooting lanes, where I'm in shadows. It doesn't have to be all shadows. It could be broken shadows mm -hmm. from things happening on the limb that's going to help break me up. I don't want my face shining or something like that. But you've got to get in front of things. Do not get behind stuff. And if there's so many of my guys that were like, really? You know, that's not what they would have done, right? Joe, you can use that story of Manano one of the first times you hunted with him. Absolutely. He had a bull yeah. come, he had a bull coming in. You had him coming in and if Manano's, huh? Eight yards. Eight yards. If Manano's in front of that stuff, he kills him dead as a hammer. But it, it, he was behind it and the bull never did clear it because well, they got a, they kind of met face to face with all that brush in front of me. Oh yeah, know, so. yeah. That was, it. It. He's like, I didn't have a shot. Well, he never set himself up for the shot, right? Exactly. He did two right. things. Number one, he had all the obstacles high instead of getting down to his knees, yeah. and he didn't get in front of stuff, right? Yeah. So th that's critical. You've got to be in front on setups, all right. And the the other thing that that I you know, that people just don't realize about setups is how to use the vegetation or how to use the terrain to ensure that they want to see the animal coming in. And I think that's, here's two big things about setups. If you're in a partner thing, you have partners that are doing the calling 
that want to see the elk coming in, right? <laughs> That's not your job. Now, if you get the opportunity and you happen to see that animal, so in there, cool. oh, that's, that's, it's all good, right? But that's not your job. Your job is to pull that animal by your hunter. You should be able to see your hunter and being able to tell by him or her what is happening in that set. Uh, you can tell immediately. You can tell by body posture and stuff like people that are kind of like this, they, immediately get taller as soon as they see an animal. I mean, immediately get taller, whether they're sitting or whether they're standing. Their body gets there, and that bow gets in a position right there. That tells you, and you can tell by where the bow is, where that animal is. So by you reading your um, shooter up there as the caller, you can tell what is it that I have to do. Plus, when I see that, and I see them kind of, you can kind of tell and watch their bow as it tracks that animal as they're moving, you can tell what that animal's doing. Well, if that animal's heading to the downside, dude, I know immediately, depending on what my, um, what my, uh, vegetation or like my terrain, if I can drop down behind the terrain and get over to the offside away opposite, you know, and I call it my record player effect, you know, like yeah. we talked about. So, you know, you, you figure like if, if you put a, a piece of lint on one side of a, uh, and I know a lot of y'all <laughs> I've never dealt with a record, <laughs> but you know, it, you'll it, have it, a record player. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a ball. Or you remember yeah. when you were a kid, you were on those little spinning things in yeah. the park, right? Merry go round. Mm-hmm. If you're on the opposite, one person on one side and one's on the other, as it turns, you just got to think about your hunter being in the middle. Right. And as that animal starts to rotate around, you want to rotate in the exact opposite way so that you can pull that animal across him instead of the animal getting behind him and scenting him. Okay. Or her. All right. So that, that's something that, you know, your job is not to see the elk. Your job is to get back there and call it up by your partner. So you want to see your partner, you know, now, is that always going to be the case? No. Sometimes, especially if you have a very verbal bull, if you have a very verbal bull, you don't necessarily have to see him or even your hunter. Like if he's like hanging and going a certain position and you know that every time you move, he comes a little closer, well, keep going, you know, and now that you can, you know where your hunter is and you can hear where that bull's coming, use that sound according to the proximity of your hunter to determine which direction you go to pull that bull by your hunter. Okay, you're not going to know what happens. You know, I did that when when Gilbert was talking that time with him and Brandon. I had to keep going up the ridge because of where that bull was hanging down there. I had to keep going up the ridge to pull him. I love when, as a caller, to move away as I'm calling. Now, we talk about different rodeos. Everybody out there, as soon as they hear an elk respond, the first thing they do, and we do it depending on the situation, is, man, you're cutting the distance. You're going up on it. So bulls are used to, especially as they go through the season, that they hear an, a, a call, and next thing they know, that call's on top of them. And that kind of raises a red flag after they busted a few hunters and they get educated. What they're not used to doing is hearing that bull going away from them. That must be an actual animal. So a lot of times I'll actually call away as I'm going and sound like a herd going away and pull that animal. And that's what I did to pull that bull by Brent. Then the bull bugles, and I'm like, 
that boy has to be on top of him, man. Because he was, <laughs> he was being verbal, and I kept walking away, and then he's following him. Like, either he walked right by them or, you know, it's just that that's how you kind of read that. Yeah. So, You I, know, Joe, the bull you called in for me that same year when we bailed off on him, and you told me, run down that hill and go kill that bull. <laughs> he sent me down there. I ran down there, and Joe knew that bull was coming because you could hear him, man. He was roaring coming up through there. But I don't think Joe ever saw me draw my bow. You know, he was up on the side of the ridge. Manano was kind of on my hip, and I got down there. He could tell the bull was coming. Uh, did you ever see the bull when he came through no, the trees No, never saw there? the bull. Yeah, he never saw him, but what he may have saw is me draw. And, you know, as soon as I drew, he bugled, and that really settled the bull down. The bull actually stopped and looked up there, and then, you know, everything was over after that. I mean, when I draw my bow, so I'm going to let the arrow go. I'm not going to draw it and hold it very long. But But think about this, dude. That bull, you went down at least 50 yards from me. At least. At least 50 yards from yeah. me, right? And down that bull came out. Time. 50 yards from you. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, think about that. I, I, and I had to let him clear a bunch of shit before I, before I drew into that little hole. If you would have stayed up with me, we'd had a bull down there stopped a hundred yeah. yards. Yeah. He's not going to do anything, man. Mm-hmm. He's going to, he's going to be down there and he's like, well, where are you guys? It's very yeah. open up here. And that's why I was like, you got to move and get down there. You got to cut yeah. that distance. Right. Yeah. So, um, it's a perfect setup. That's the other thing that, most guys don't that's a, a problem area is and we've mentioned it is that you have to be willing to move you can get away with so much more movement than you think you can now there's times in certain situations as a shooter if we are in a team position where you want to move forward and not make as much noise as possible you know, now if you're calling your way to the animal, then that's different. You can make that noise. And then there's a point where you stop and you try to be stealthy and move up a little bit, just so like what Cole was saying, that they peg that further yeah. behind you. But that was another thing is people not realizing that, like we said before, I got to get up and readjust. You know, yeah. one thing I know is if I hunt with Gil or if I hunt with Chav, right, um, I know versus when I'm hunting with I usually have to hunt on the shoulder of guys that I guide because, number one, they don't know when to draw, and they're going to freeze and lock up in that position come heck or high water, right? <laughs> they're going to stay there till either that animal comes in or that animal's gone. And so they're not – and I'm like, I literally grab people by the pack, pick them up, and start moving them forward, right, yeah. or to a side. I mean, the first time that I had Luis with me <laughs> – we had a bull step out, and the bull, I can see where the shooting thing is, and Luis is in a position where he's not able to shoot, and I and he can see the bull. So what does he do? He does the same thing every Lock hunter up. does, Lock up and freeze. And I'm like, dude, uh, I told him, <laughs> I grab his pack and pull him to the side three yards and say, draw, right? The bull watched the whole time. Yeah. Watched the whole time, but had no idea, especially two people. We're like big, you know. Yeah. Look like another bovine out there, you know. Yeah. It'll go down. You got how many feet you have. Yeah. But if he doesn't move, that bull's going to stand there and he's going to go, well, well, something's wrong, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just going to go out of our life. So I think, you know, where you set up, 
as far as being in front of stuff, making sure that you've got great shooting lanes, and then being in a close enough position where that animal's going to come out to there. So stop and scan. Let's talk yeah. about stop and scan, all right? And That was a big one the other night. Uh, yeah. Mo- some people don't understand a stop and scan point. A stop and scan point is where a bull is visually impaired to being able to see where you're calling from. And then when that bull gets so that that becomes either over a terrain or through vegetation to a point that opens up to where that bull should be able to see where you called from, that is the stop and scan point. You know, it's, it's, um, it's just like you're walking in your house and you come to a doorway and you go to look inside the door. All right. In fact, we do it the, we do it every time as hunters. We stop and scan. We come into a location and we stop and we're looking. Or if we Edge think there's an animal over a ridge or something, we come up to it and we poke our head over and we look because we want to see that animal visually. They do the same thing, yep. right? So if you're in an area and it is very open, and what I mean by open is not meadow, um, let's say that you've got a lot of older pines, but they're really clear in between and there's gap and there's pine straw on the bottom. Or it's a burn where there's a lot of gap between the trees, no vegetation, right? Those are areas where these animals can see a great distance, okay? So if you are in a position where that animal is in the burn and you're 100 yards from them in a perfect line of sight and you give a cow call, especially if you give one just with your mouth without throwing it back behind you, you're done. You're done because that animal is going to look and expect to see another elk. And they're going to stare because what they're looking for is movement, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they're going to look up there. If they don't see movement, and I know I just heard one right there, it's like you. You come in your house. Right? And you get your front door and you hear dishes rattle in your living room and you come and you peek around the hallway and you don't see anybody or anything in there when you know you heard somebody in there. You immediately, your body gets scared immediately because something is wrong. Right? Right. Same thing with these elk, man. They, they are trying to survive. So what you have to do is determine if that animal is below or if it's above, you know, on a ridge, and it's got to come over a ridge to look down at you, well, how close are you to that position that you can have an effective shot once they get to that stop and scan? And if it's a straight line, so if I end up calling, and the top of that hill where he's got to come over is directly up, and I'm not in an effective shooting place, I immediately want to go to the downwind side up that hill so that when that animal comes over that hill for that stop and scan spot, I have a broadside shot. I don't want to be directly in line with that, right? So I'm going to go to that downwind side. And it's, it's, if I'm in thick brush, I want to do a setup so that the thickest brush is in front of me and my shooting lanes out here. If you have too many shooting lanes, then the area is too open. It's hard, especially if you're a solo hunter. Now, it's fine if I have a partner calling for me back yonder, then it's great to have all that open area, right? 
I'm yeah. not. I don't have a problem with it. But as a solo hunter, I'm going to set in position. I want the thickest in front of me, and I want those places that are going to come through on the sides where they're going to come through and stop and scan to look in, or they're going to continue walking, and I'm going to stop and I'm going to pop. Right. Yeah. So. That's what I want you to understand about setups, y'all, is that your setup is going to be the one place that's going to determine whether or not you can finish, okay? And then finishing comes on being able to pick your right spot on the animal. That's right. You know, this year, Joe, RC and I went through it too, and it was my fault. But we we even discussed it before we set up. I said, look, I really feel like I'm probably making a mistake setting up where we're setting up because this is really a stop and scan spot. If they don't see us down here, they're probably going to booger us. We had some real jinky wind too. So we really felt like if we tried to get up on top where they were at, where we saw them get above them because they were kind of below us, that – if we called them up there, we might get burnt, right? So we decided to set off on the side and try to call them over to us. And, uh, yeah, they came. They came right to the stop and scan spot. And when they didn't see any elk down there, they were like, oh, okay, this is bullshit. Uh, we're, we're not, we're not staying, sticking around, right? We're not seeing any elk down there. And they, they boogered out of there, you know? Um, I, I, I told RC, I said, it's my fault. I, we wasted 45 minutes on this, but I really felt like with the little bachelor group of bulls that they had there, we were going to be able to get their attention enough to come over and see who was over here, you know? Yeah, so right. we just had a real jinky wind, and then you take that same spot and scan scenario and move it into when I called a really big bull in for Chav. Uh, we were we had went up this treacherous peak and in some really thick cover, and I we hadn't heard anything the rest of the morning, but we'd heard that bull up there, and I cow called really loud, and that bull answered, and he was a long way off. And, and Chav looked at me and he goes, bugle really loud. And so I bugled, gnarly screeching bugle, man. And that bull bugled again and it sounded closer. And Chav's like, Oh my God, he's, <laughs> sounds like he's coming. He goes, cow call again. And I cow called and <clears throat> he just kept hitting it. Right. So, I mean, here comes the bull. We probably 15, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, maybe a minute into this thing. And the bull sounds like he's getting closer and closer, but he's sounding off about every 30 seconds, right? He's ripping off gnarly bugles and he's coming. And uh, I look and I look exactly where I hear the bull bugling from. And there's a trail, okay? And it's thick, but there is an absolute trail. And I look up and I watch that trail and it comes right between Chav's legs. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God, if this bull comes in here, he's going to walk right over Chav, right? So I ease myself up above him as much as I could. The terrain was just real treacherous. And all of a sudden I caught movement out there probably about 75, 65 yards from us. And it's him. He's mad, slots, not slinging, bugling like crazy. And every time he bugled, I would cow call or bugle away from us, right? And Chad was really, this was really, I was young calling then, but Chad would tell, don't call to him, call away from him. So I would call away, away, away. Man, he was just incensed. And I'm not lying. That bull walked within 12 feet of Chav. Chav is sitting in the middle of that trail and I just shut up. I didn't say a word. I didn't say anything else. Once he got in there to that spot and scan spot, I just stayed 
completely quiet. And he walked directly to that trail, looked down at Chab twice, looked down at him, looked up towards where I was at. And he's looking around like, where in the heck is all the elk? And then another bull blows up below us. And he hears that other bull. Well, he bugles like crazy. I didn't have a video camera. It would have been an unbelievable video. But he rips off a gnarly bugle, and he just walks. He turns just slightly to the right and walks down this little draw and around in front of Chab at about maybe eight yards. And he's looking down towards that other bull, and that bull bugles, and I don't I ain't said another word. Again, you got to know when to shut up, too, not and so they don't pinpoint you, right? So I'd shut up, and, I mean, the other bull bugles, the bull starts walking, bugling, chav draws, I cow-called. As soon as I cow-called, the bull looks up at me. He ain't even seen chav, man, has not seen him one bit, and he's standing, you know, less than 10 yards from him. Yeah. And, uh Chab unfortunately hits a little limb that was in the kill zone that he didn't see. And, uh, man, it was an unbelievable experience, but it really taught me early on in my elk hunting career about the spot and the spot and scan. Stop spot and spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Once they walk in there into your bubble, man, it's almost better to just let them come on and not keep talking to them because if they hear something, they want to see it. You know, they, he stopped. He heard that other bull bugle, and he's standing down there. He's looking for it. He stopped right in the middle of that little clearing. He's looking for that bull. He never uh, heard anything. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, yeah, they they want to confirm like that. So do. let's do this now, Cole. What I want to talk about now is because there is the holes in calling strategies. With the guys that you've dealt with that we've been coaching in the last two years, what would you say are the biggest problems, issues, or holes in calling strategies? Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our Base Camp Training Camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because, y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Base Camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, 
Invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing and achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. Um, <clears throat> I think the biggest thing is maybe... So maybe some of them going more advanced on their actual calls than what they probably need to be doing because they're just not understanding um, maybe the meaning of what the bull is saying or what they're even saying. Um, I think that's a big thing. And then just getting, um, just getting their sounds to be quality sounds um, like read placement and um, you know, knowing, understanding what you're, you know, if you're making a cow sound or if you're making a calf sound or, um, you know, any of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think understanding what a scenario is to like us elk pros. Yeah. Right. I think that yeah. that people just don't understand the freaking what would power. you call it? I mean, it is power. But it's also so theatrical that people don't believe that we're actually doing that. Right. Um, they, they just don't like, there's no way you're sitting there making all those noises and you're throwing rocks and you're crashing sticks and, you know, or you're not doing any of that depending on the situation. People just don't get that. Oh yeah. We started a party and then next thing you know, we had people standing at the door waiting to get in. Sure. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right, buddy. So, like, when you were talking about, I, I, I want to go back to what you said because you're right. As far as the call, some of them, you know, and when you say quality calls, guys, you don't have to sound like the perfect bull. Um, you don't, um, but you have to be able to make the sound at least in the level of the tone. And I'm not talking about bull. But I think more cow calls. I think are more critical. Yes. Than, than bull bugles are. I think you can get away with a ton of horrible, horrible stuff. In fact, I think I've had more, you know, I can remember one time getting a reaction to a bull where I was just screwing around with stuff and they was like reacting like crazy to it, man. You know, and yeah. it was different and it, but the cow calls are, are different. You gotta at least have it in the ballpark of what a cow sounds like and not be doing. Well, the face and I don't, stuff, right? I don't want guys to get confused. Like whenever I say quality, okay, mm-hmm. quality to me is not like you're making a Corey Jacobson cow call, right? That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is being able to take the reed, throw it in your mouth, place it, and then blow, and it get oh. a consistent noise out of it. Okay, maybe yeah. that's the way I should put it because. Right everybody's voice, their cow voice, their bull voice, their person voice is all different. And, and I've actually been sending clips to guys like, Hey, don't worry about your bugle sounding kind of, let's call it the Idaho flutter buzz. Shout out to, uh, (laughs) shout out to Brent. Um, the kid, the kid had one of the worst bugles I've ever heard in my life, but they got it done in hunt wars. Called in in five bulls. Yeah. 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 
You know why? Because he was consistent, and that was the sound that he – that was his signature bugle. And you it, know? it so, wasn't just the bugle he was using. He was doing other scenario things yeah. with it. That 100%, condense, yeah. right? yes. So what yeah. you were talking about as far, as far as the scenario. Now, before I get to the scenarios, before I jump to that strategy, um, what I want – you said something about – they really don't know what they're saying. Can you give us an example of that? Yeah. So um, this happens, I think this happens a lot, okay? Guys hear this a lot, and I totally agree with it, but on certain things, I don't think this is to be true, okay? I think a lot more could be done without saying so much. And what I'm referring to is whenever you get a response from a bull, Right. Let's say he answered you and all you did was you cow called and that bull responded to you. Right. With a cow call. Right. At what point do you think you need to introduce a bugle to that scenario? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Do it one time and you'll figure out why he shut up. <laughs> why you shouldn't yeah. have done it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why <laughs> you do it the first time and you'll go, man, he just ran away. Yeah, so, and, and it's, it's real understandable because most people equate a bull's bugle with him being aggressive. Right. And, and that's just like when we say we're aggressive callers, people think that we're going around doing challenge bugles. No, that's not what we're doing. By being aggressive means that we're putting, we're putting calls in the air. Now, and when it comes to putting calls in the air, is that even that has to be organic, not repetitious, have some space. And elk don't continually just go, 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 No, it's a, you know, it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you don't hear anything for a few minutes, right? Or unless you get a commanding, you get one of those commanding S buzzes is what I call them. That's the only thing, you know, and people hear me. So it's like. You know, when you start to get that little S, I threw yeah. on my bugle calls to try to do that. But when you get that continual S sound in there where it kind of goes up, down and up like that and they start buzzing it. You know, you start hearing that where they're demanding. Now you're going to hear a lot more responses of cows going off, especially if it's in thick area and they don't know where each other are. When elk know and can see each other, they don't have to call as much. They see each other. Okay. So, um, when, when you're doing your calls, it's not always just Pound it, pound it, pound it. You gotta kinda go organic and you gotta go according to what other animals in your areas are doing. If you start hearing a cow doing those S, you know, um, buzzes and those S mews and stuff like that, um, and you hear everything else going off, man, join in with that and pull them over to you. You can actually do that, man. Or if you hear like, you know, them doing that, well, start throwing in a roundup. Man, or what we call, you know, uh, you hear guys call it a reassembly mew, right? Um, a regathering mew, anything like that to pull them to you, right? So, and, and Cole's real, you know, he's extremely accurate. We start, our playbook is we are always a lover before a fighter. We always go with a cow first. And here's why. 
If you get a bull that responds to a cow call, they're more likely to be coming in or trying to bring you into them. That's what's going to happen. They're either going to come to you, and you can tell by just waiting a second and see the next time that they call and they're searching you out if they're closer, all right? But if you get a bull that responds to a location bugle, he's basically saying, I'm over here. Well, you still don't know anything about that bull, and he knows there's another bull over there, but there's nothing really attracting or telling him to come to you at that point in time, unless, you know, he thinks you have something that he's interested in, but otherwise he's just saying hello. So now you got to figure out and what telling him what you want to happen, right, or introducing something that's going to bring him in there, or you're going to shut up and now go get in his bubble before you do anything else, right? So a cow, a cow to bull response is different than a bull to bull response. That's just how I feel about it, right? Now, if I give, if I give a location bugle and this guy's only 200 yards off and he screams at me, right? Like that, I'm like, wow, okay, alright, I'm just gonna wait a second. And I'm going to let him sound off again if he's that close and find out, is he farther? Is he off to the side? Has he come closer? If he's come closer and he's searching out screaming like that, well, first of all, if he's moving to me, do I even have to say anything? Do I have to fill the air with anything? No, not at this time I don't, right? But if he, like, comes in and then the next time he's in the same spot and he's, like, challenging, screaming at me, at that point in time, because he's, like, you know, he's being aggressive with me in that sense. Now I'm going to cut him off. Now I'm going to tell him, hey, I'm right here and you stay away from me, right? Like, you know, who are you? So then we're going to find out what kind of reaction we get there, all right? Now it's still going to be a dynamic thing because we read his reaction. Does he listen to my command and stay off of me? Does he become intimidated? Is he like, well, what's going on over there? So do I now... Do something where I maybe pop some glunks. Do I even have to do a cow call at that point? Can I make it sound like a bull? Because cows, if they've been quiet, don't always start sounding off, y'all. So if I start sounding like a bull is tending, I don't even have to introduce that cow yet. I don't have to do that cow sound. I can do things as a bull that tells that other bull I have a cow. Right. I'm not going to him. I told him to stay away. So these are the things that you have to think about and how to communicate what is being said, what is happening. All right. So the one thing that I wanted to bring up, Cole, on the calling strategies is that, you know, I do seminars. I do seminars called changing the game because I believe that the game plan for most people and look, there's nothing wrong with ridge running and locating. Right. There's nothing wrong with that unless bulls are not responding to that and you still have elk in the area. If you are going through country and missing on opportunities for other elk that you should have an opportunity on, that's a problem. And that's when we use things such as scenarios. And there's going to be different reasons for a scenario. And I had one of our guys ask us today, why don't you just always do a scenario? Well, Generally, a lot of times when you do a scenario, it's going to bring elk into you silently. A lot of times. Now, if you're doing a breeding sequence, you can get a bull that will come in and start sounding off to you, right? And they might sound off to a certain point to where they're getting in your bubble, and now you have to still stay within. So, Cole, 
Let's talk scenarios. And you say people have a hard time understanding this because when I talk about changing the game, I'm saying that 95% of the hunters out there are ridge running where they're just doing location bugle and they're hunting bugles. They're not hunting elk. Okay. And I think this is the biggest problem in calling strategies. If that strategy is working, great. And it can, and, and understand this people that are, you know, listeners that guys in camp here, a cow call is a location call. You can give a cow call and get a response. All right. In fact, we always call from near to far. We start with low sounding audibles. We get with a cow call. It's a little louder. And then we reach out with the location. And that's already set up the scene. I give a low cow call. I give a little bit louder one that makes it sound that that cow's in a different distance. And then I give a location bugle that could also be considered an advertising bugle. I've just set a scene of a bull with two cows. Now, if I get a response... And it depends if that the proximity, if it's way far away, it probably only heard that bull, right, when it responded. But if it's closer than that, it heard all three, right? So I'm just saying that everybody is using just that location and they're going 95% of the people. And yet we have a 90% failure rate out there, all right? So if 95% of the people are doing that, 90% are, are failing at it, right, then there's a problem because you need to add something different to your game plan. And one of the things that we utilize are scenarios. Okay, Cole, exp- how do you explain a scenario to people? Okay, so <laughs> there's so many different scenarios Absolutely. that you can sell a bull or an elk, whatever it is that you're trying to go after, right? So let's just say we're going after a bull. Okay, this is my scenario. Um, is regardless of what I'm trying to sell that bull, I'm trying to convince him that it, either I am a new guy on the block scenario and he, it's maybe it's early season, right? Because mm-hmm. they're, they're not necessarily cowed up. My scenario then is I'm a new bull that's come into the area and I'm starting to display or rake. And if I get a response from another bull from my location bugle, not necessarily he, he disregarded my cow sound or he didn't just, or he didn't even hear it. Then I know that that's dependent on the, the response that I get is the scenario that I'm going to feed that bull. Um, I guess is what I'm going with it. Um, yeah, I, man, I guess it's hard, Joe, cause I don't, you know, it, for a scenario, I guess that it just, man, like I could have a cow in a bull scenario yeah. to where I'm trying to convince, you know, some, the other bull that I have my own little party that's going on here. That's the way I try to describe it that's or try to get guys. Cow. All right. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to try, I'm going to try to, to clean it up for the people out there in that. You, we have a target animal, a target, what, you know, we're going to say a target bull. And we can talk about what kind of bull that is according to time of year and blah, blah, blah. But just so that they understand the scenario, we have a target bull. Now there's two ways to, to work that target bull. And the way that everybody does is by directly engaging that bull with calls going at that bull to get a response and then react response, react, response, react with that bull back and forth, engaged with that bull, okay? 
in a scenario situation, we have a target bull, but we act and put on the play of other elk that are not engaging that bull, other elk that are engaged with each other doing elk yeah. things, mm-hmm. whether or not that is a rut fest or and when we say a rut fest, it's like multiple bulls with maybe converging herds with cow calls happening, multiple bulls okay. sounding off, displays going on. There's going to be probably rattling horns going on, Rip, different yeah, things glunking. like that mm-hmm. in a rut fest. And that becomes very attractive to elk in the peripheral because Anytime you have multiple bulls talking, that means that there's cows in heat. And other bulls are going to come into that and try to locate cows and maybe get an opportunity, find out if they fit in that pecking order to have an opportunity at that cow in heat. They they want to go see... It's just like a fight that's getting ready to happen. You know, if I'm in the school, as soon as somebody says fight, fight, every friggin' buddy goes to go check that out, right? And it's the same thing with that rut scenario. So what I'm doing is, is I'm putting on a play or I'm doing elk things to attract my target animal without calling at trying to get a direct engagement with that animal. So what happens is, is that animal, as he hears this rut fest going on, what's he going to do? He's like, oh, I'm coming to the party, right? Or if he's not, go ahead. So I guess what I'm, what I guess I'm confusing here, because I'm always thinking about like a solo, like a solo hunter for some reason, right? (laughs) I forget, dude, for real. Last year was the first time that I had like multiple people to where we could actually put on a legit like two bull, one cow scenario. So I guess a lot of times when I'm thinking about a scenario is whenever there's not a lot going on Mm -hmm. or I have a bull that is reluctant to respond to me either vocally or by showing up, right? Right. Then I put on my scenario. Yes. Um, It it is whenever I do it as like a solo setup in – in a, in a group scenario, um, we are basically, for the most part, we're not even really like, we're all set up in different areas, kind of spread out, mm-hmm. and we are building our own, our own mm-hmm. rut fest mm-hmm. to be able to catch the ear of the bulls and stuff that don't really care for just a cow call and a location. Yeah, that's if you have multiple callers. Yeah. 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 And, and you can actually, and I've done it as a solo hunter, you can put on a rut fest as a solo hunter playing Um, all the parts. I'm telling you, it's work and it happened and it's a lot of fun. Now, and what Cole's talking about, I'll give you another example. There's nothing going on. Like you're not hearing animals that are really, really worked up. So, what I will do is, and since I'm not hearing other animals that are being advertising as they're going mm-hmm. to bed, I become that bull. Yeah. I become that advertising bull with a group of cows moving up a ridge, going to a destination. I play that out as I'm going up. And as I'm advertising going up that ridge, elk in that area will pinpoint me and start coming to my direction. And Again, 
in situations, depending on their maturity level and their size, sometimes they'll sound off and sometimes they'll just come into you silently. And it, again, it depends on time of year. So there's different, like Cole said, there's so many different kinds of scenarios. One of the ones that, you know, you'll hear guys talk about like a slow play, right? Well, yep. we do a breeding sequence and yep. Or we do a cow and heat sequence or, mm-hmm. you know, like that. So it's all the same thing, different names, right? Different names, and what's right. happening with that is it just depends on a bull that you're dealing with, whether you've seen them, heard them, you know, and we'll talk about smell later. But if I've seen or heard them, I know that there's a target bull, right? Yeah, or maybe now, you didn't. Yeah, but that animal's not coming in or doing something, then yeah. I have to like, now I get the opportunity to, to pick my setup location according to the wind, trying to be probably on that animal same level if possible, and then I start to find out, okay, depending on what time of year, what that, what type of bull I'm dealing with, I'm gonna use different baits because I'm gonna determine their motivation. Is there motivation to breed? Is there motivation um, to pal up with something? Is there motivation just to set a pecking order or just to be part of a herd? You know, what is that motivation? So let's say that, you know, I have a bull that I've heard and I know that bull's there. And I know that that bull, that bull's motivation at that time of year has to be to breed. So what do I do? I get in proximity to that animal and... I introduce some cows that are to them, that are with themselves, right? I'm not cow, I'm cow calling like a group of cows. He might react off to there. If he reacts, I don't need to do anything else. He's reacting already, right? But if he doesn't react after I've heard him, he's just there. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to do those cows and this is going to be spanned out in time, y'all. And I'm going to paint the picture now of a bull with those cows by introducing some raking. Yes. I might introduce a little couple of glumps and then I'm going to let it marinate. And and so when I do something like this, we let it marinate. So that's a scenario that we, that we do. We've done just, just cows together, you know, just cows moving through as a scenario Mm -hmm. and let animals come to that. So what we're doing is basically chumming for any bulls in the area by sounding like a group of cows. There's, so many different scenarios that you can do, um, but basically sounding like a group of cows or sounding like a breeding, sounding like a breeding uh, situation or a rut fest. Right. Those three right there, a group of cows, yep. a breeding sequence, a rut fest yeah. are three scenarios that those are the three that you could use to make different things happen. Sure. Cole and I last year, and Gilbert on our group have done it several times. But Cole and I last year, I'll give you an idea. We actually came to a place. A situation. We did it last year, Joe. Yeah. And we we go and we set up on a beautiful bowl that that sound is carrying and a perfect little bench is going down to feed. And it was nice and thick. We just started having fun doing a scenario, and we started out just real basic, man. Just with a few. And really, we we were doing it, or I felt like we were trying to show Rob, like, Uh hey, this is this is a scenario. scenario. Yeah, like this is what we do when we're bored and we're trying to make something happen. Right. Yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, Joe. (laughs) No, no, it's perfect, dude. But it even gets to the point where when you're playing the parts, I mean, Cole's over there, and Cole comes at me. You know, all of a sudden, you know, we're kind of doing like. 
kind of just a little bit bugle back and forth with cows. Yeah. I kind of did a little small uh, roundup to my cows, a little display. All of a sudden, Cole, uh, Cole escalates, you know, and he does this, like, nasty little quick scream at me, and I'm like, Dude, who oh, do you yeah. think you are, man? Yeah. It's all like I'm screaming right back at him. I come right back to him a little bit. And yeah. then, you know, he waits for a second and he takes and he starts yeah. He starts busting up on the I mean, he's just like thrashing this up there. And as he's thrashing, he threw out a little cow buzz as he's thrashing up there. You know, he, I mean, I don't know what size telephone pole this dude had, but he was tearing up the street <laughs> like that, right? Yeah. And so what I did again was I went down there and I was like, you know, just doing some whines and some little huffs and some puffs, making, and I'm oh. ignoring Cole. Oh. I'm ignoring oh. that other competitor over there. And then I growled at him and he screams back at me when I growl mm -hmm. at him. So we did this for five minutes, and all of a sudden, after well, I think it was only five minutes, right, Cole, that we did this. Yeah, it's about yeah, it's about five minutes. And and we catch movement, and here comes a spike bull right up through that little bench thick stuff, comes within pfft, ten feet behind Rob, you know, there yeah. comes out. And, I mean, we any of us could have killed him on that day. It was yeah. easy, but spikes aren't legal in Colorado, but. Uh, no, but so that's the scenario and the effect it had. Look, I, Joe, I think 100% we dealt with some really high-pressured elk last year, and I think the scenario-based calling was the ticket, right? Yeah. And it really was because our bulls were not very vocal. They were a little vocal in the morning, a little vocal in the evening. But if RC, and I, RC got out his hyper call with me and, you know, we – just put on a scenario everywhere we stopped and we thought we heard a bull the first time but it was the wind was up a little bit and we really didn't know had we sat right there he'd have probably walked right into our really lives into there lives, but yeah. yeah but we we went up another bench and we started probably another 30 minutes and we started another scenario man and we put it on man it was long i mean we put on a real long one i was raking trees i was you know making it sound like a rut fest he was on that hyper call whining that thing man sounded amazing and brendan was like oh my god dude i thought there was a herd of animals up here you know and, and a scenario can be very elaborate like what you're yeah. talking about it yeah. could be a, a lost cow calf yep. scenario right I imagine we Where threw just moving through or making that sound <laughs> yeah. or we have one that we call the cow pickle where we're actually sounding we already have a target animal sounding off we sound like a herd that's moving and we come back with that lost cow right so yeah. I mean, there's... Or you do like Big O and RC and just throw the kitchen sink at them, man. I mean, <laughs> that's what we did, brother. I mean, it was it was crazy, man. And then, oh, my gosh. I well, love, so it I, is my favorite way to call, Joe. And I've been with you a million mine, times where... Mine too. It's my, and I've been with Joe a million times where we can really... Like Joe and Cole did, they make it sound like, and we called a lot of hunters in, man. Well, so oh, yeah, to, we did to make it to make it believable. <laughs> what I've been telling the guys with Hunt Wars because we've been doing our trainings and we'll be back in one tomorrow. Yeah. I've been telling them, don't be afraid to humanize it. Right? Yeah. Pretend like you were telling that dude 
screw you, SOB, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Really act like you were fighting with them verbally, but yeah. the only way you can do it is through emotion in your like, sound. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, you're and right, that's so. the stuff that really sells it. Like, if you're sitting over there and you're having a battle back and forth, how many, how many bugle fests have you heard where you hear the bull just barely even, you know, he just does yeah. that. Like, yeah. You can't even, most guys won't even know that that's an elk sound. Right. They make so many different sounds. Just try to, try to oh, humanize yeah. it. When, yeah. when you're sitting there trying to talk with your cow and you're trying to set up that scenario of you're about to do some love making, then you need to talk sweet to her. It's just you and her, yeah. right? And if you're, if the buddy yeah. chimes in over there and starts knocking at the door, you just say, Hey man, you need to stay back. I'm busy yeah. right now. Right? That's when what the house is rocking. Don't come and knocking, huh? That's it, dude. Yeah. Uh, you just give them that, man. Just like yeah. that, you know? Yes. And, you know, and, and like Cole's saying, man, when I'm, when I'm there, I'm like, <laughs> I'm just frustrated, whining, like, come on, you know? Come on, yeah. girl, like that. So, yeah. you know, you, it, and that's what we try telling guys. There's so many sounds that you can make that are easy sounds to do. When I, I think the scenarios really work, Joe, on pressured elk. Absolutely. I really do. Because they're not wanting to talk. It's a different game. It's yeah. not the game. It's not the same old rodeo that everybody's using. So I think that's where the biggest holes are in some of the things that, that we're talking about. And, and let me tell you, when you're putting on a scenario and you get a bull to react, you don't get out of that play until that bull starts getting into that proximity where another bull would not put up with it. Right. Then you can turn in and now directly engage Engaging. that animal. Yep. Okay. So, and, and that's just something, you know, and when you're in a group thing, you end up actually pulling off of that, leaving somebody there. Like if we're in a, if we're in a square or we're in a triangle and that bull's sounding off and it's on the point where Gilbert is and I'm back on the backside, Gilbert's going to shut up and I'm going to keep doing the scenario, moving it away so that that bull ends up coming by Gilbert, right? Yeah. So I, I hope this has been a lot of fun doing this for you guys um we're hoping that you're hearing some of these messages and and trying to pick up on some of this stuff we talk about a lot of this in our base camp online training course if you want to learn any more about that um if you're i just we just released the, another module on finding and locating elk on the course there as well so that's um they're all all tools out there go listen to chris Rowe. you know you can go as deep or as shallow as you want with chris because chris goes deep man yeah. so you know, uh, and, and i think and i've been through a lot of academies and a lot of uh a lot of information on the web there is not a better shot placement uh pictorial or even uh description than the one we have on our base camp academy yeah. uh, these animals are big animals but there is an absolute spot that you want to shoot them with a bow and arrow and if you can get it in the area that we talk about you're going to raise your hands up and walk up there and put your hands on that rascal 99.9 percent of the time there's always going to be that one little thing that happens where we can't we don't understand right but i'm going to tell you right now if you put it in that vicinity where we've we've shown on that 
on that uh, base camp module and their shot placement. It is amazing. I'm telling you right now, I, we started shooting at elk and then we started killing elk and watching them fall in sight when we understood the anatomy and how these animals' bodies work. And even up until the the way that they're arteries run through the tops of those lungs and everything. It is a serious opportunity for you. If you guys don't understand, y'all got to get away from that shoulder blade and quit being that whitetail hunter and get back behind that crease six to eight inches and let that dog eat. And I promise you, y'all will be eating elk backstrap the rest of this next year. All right, Um, brother. Close us out, man. You bet, Joe. Always, guys, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. you got to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review us, and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And a reminder to all our listeners, if if you'd like your question answered on our show, just send your question to info at elkbros.com. That's I-N-F-O at elkbros.com. And like we say down here in the Lone Star State, husbands kiss your wives, wives kiss your husbands, hug your babies, keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry, and we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Heck yeah, man. Guys, thanks. <laughs> and as for all our grinders out there, here's some more music from our brother, Tony Wintrip, to clone out the show. Tony, buddy. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> Two days, I'll be in Idaho. Get the Rocky Mountain rough. A constant swing of thermals had him sniffing up the wind. As the blood and sweat and tears of mine came rolling down my chin. I saw a monster with no shots to take. Points on top like a garden rake. Tracks as big as a cottontail on the run. And he talked trash to me while he ran away. And I'll be back to ruin his day. When the elk gods come to call. start to drop, so I packed up ready to make my way up on the mountaintop, with a quiver full of six, and three blades sharp and ready, my heart was maxed out and all I had to do was hold her steady,